0: Good morning Gator Nation. Welcome to episode 15 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. It is our Tim Tebow number episode and unfortunately we are in the midst of an unexpected hiatus for Gator football. But despite not having back-to-back bye weeks in the middle of October, we do still have a great deal of things to talk about today. Of course, I am your host, Dustin Smith. And you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOW Dustin. And as always, in all kinds of weather, creator and lead writer Neil Schulman is with me today. And you can follow him at all kinds weather. Also, we have contributor Casey Hampton with us today. And you can follow him at C Hampton85. How are we doing, guys?
1: i'm hanging in there it's another day where i don't have covid i'm grateful for that and uh by the way shout out to my new york giants on their first win of the season special thanks to ron rivera for giving us that one it's a weird world where one in five you're still right in the thick of your divisional race but you know it's 2020 so can't complain about that look you're doing this on your phone man that's that's a first you got some you got some internet problems going on in your house right
0: yeah man I got home and I opened up my laptop internet explorer would not turn on and eventually I got some weird error message saying that my broadband is messed up so I might have after the after we're done with the recording I might have to call my internet provider and uh let them know what's going on give them my a little two cents on on the situation if you know what I mean situation. <laughs> oh, we're getting
1: uh we're going right to the impressions today. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just noticed it, it sounded different, and I mean, you, you guys listening probably wondering why Dustin is uh, Dustin is fighting technology tonight in order to be able to host his pod. So uh, yeah, it sounds different, but he's he's gone through a lot today. So he's uh, he's a hero for this. So Casey, let's get you involved in the conversation. How you doing, man? Sorry about your Braves.
0: Yeah,
2: god, the Braves and Georgia Tech. It's just been a rough. Rough weekend in Georgia, and not that I'm upset about George, the Bulldogs at all, but tough tough weekend if you're a Georgia sports fan of, of any kind. All right, Casey, it's always great to hear from you. As I alluded to at the top of the show,
0: Florida is now having a bit of a hiatus on its hands due to a COVID-19 outbreak within the football program. More than 20 Florida players and several members of the coaching staff, including our head coach, Dan Mullen have tested positive for the novel coronavirus that has wreaked havoc on our planet throughout 2020. This has had all sorts of impacts on the Gators 2020 football season, and we'll get into that momentarily. But first, Neil has a couple super quick housekeeping items to take care of before we dive into that. So Neil, do your thing.
1: Thanks, Dustin. Uh, yeah, a couple of quick housekeeping items before we really get going. First housekeeping item: sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, which is the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We've been reduced to a virtual campaign for 2020, though. As I'm sure you can imagine because of COVID. And we are looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience to this year. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Again, that is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. You can also learn more by going to dot gatorgoodfoundation.com. GatorGoodFoundation.com. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them your business and two it's run by a florida gator fan so not only do they do great work but they do great work and they're owned by a florida gator fan who happens to be a u.s veteran to learn more about their services and rates go to stingraybranding.com that is stingraybranding.com and the second housekeeping item we got to get through before we talk about the stuff that you're listening to this podcast to hear about. A quick PSA about our show's previous episode. It's called Punters Are People Too, and it was a great conversation with former Florida All-American punter Johnny Townsend about a wide variety of things. We meant it to be our LSU game preview, and in a classic case of horrible timing, we recorded and published it just before the big news of last week broke. However, A large portion of that conversation is still very much relevant because we also got some great insight from him about the ins and outs of being a punter and the growing impact that special teams is having on the game of football as a whole. And of course, we learned a lot more about him in Casey's lightning round segment. So yes, we did talk Florida LSU towards the end of the podcast, which is no longer relevant, but there is also a lot of stuff in there that is more generic and still very much applicable, even though. We're not playing LSU anytime soon, so we do encourage y'all to give that show a listen. Again, it's called Punters or People Too with Johnny Townsend. It is our most recent episode. We do think you guys will enjoy it, even though the last 10, 15 minutes of that pod are no longer as relevant as we thought they would be when we first recorded it. And now, since I've been talking for, uh, what, four minutes, three minutes or so straight, uh, time to turn it back over to our host, Dustin, and get into our main
0: discussion today. Dustin? Thanks, Neil. And as we mentioned, we do have a ton to discuss today. And I guess the logical place to start is to recap the wild week of October 12th to the present. Neil, you've been tracking this story. So real quick, why don't you go ahead and give us a refresher of what's gone down since the Texas A&M game? So the first thing
1: I think is important to keep in mind is that COVID-19 had already infiltrated the program before the team plane took off for Texas on Friday afternoon. I know that the Aggie fans are a popular target right now because they definitely had more fans in attendance than they were supposed to, and the SEC did fine them for that, but they did not introduce it to the Florida program contact tracing has retroactively determined that a Florida player had symptoms on Friday morning, which means the actual infection likely happened the Tuesday or Wednesday or so before the Texas A&M game, because this thing takes a few days to manifest itself in people's bodies. Now we can't know for sure, but the thinking within the Florida program is that everybody who tested positive probably got infected before kickoff last Saturday because the players shared a team plane, buses, and touched a lot of the same doors and handles between when they got on the bus to take them to the Gainesville airport and when they took the field against Texas A&M on Saturday. So the game happens. It's awful. We aired all those grievances a couple of shows ago. It's behind us, whatever. Now fast forward to Monday morning, The players all get tested and there are a whole bunch of positive tests that come back. They're 19 to be exact. Shout out to Peyton Titus, by the way, of the Florida alligator for breaking that story. Hashtag student journalism. But one sort of behind the scenes thing that I think is important to note is that the players had been told that the Missouri game was gonna be postponed as soon as the positive tests were confirmed to be non-falses. So I think a lot of people figured out upon hearing the news of a positive COVID outbreak that Missouri wasn't gonna happen on October 24th with a mandatory 14 day quarantine period for anyone identified in contact tracing. And with that outbreak happening less than 14 days before the Mizzou game was supposed to take place, it was pretty clear there was gonna be a postponement, but the key distinction is that Florida had told its players Wednesday morning that Mizzou was gonna get postponed. And I think that's really important to keep in mind because as we're gonna get into in a minute, people representing the University of Florida as of this very moment, do not necessarily have a reputation of erring on the side of caution with most of the public. And again, we'll get into that momentarily. It's a different topic of conversation. But the point I'm trying to make is that contrary to the way that Dan Mullen came off with his Pack the Swamp comments, UF administration is not playing games with this. The minute they found out there was an outbreak within the program, that Mizzou game wasn't happening on the 24th. Florida isn't like Georgia or A&M. They don't just try to skirt around SEC mandated protocols with this stuff. So that's basically the story
2: of the last week. So looking at the entire situation, it was mishandled by a great many people, but for the sake of this podcast, I want to focus on Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen's an incredible coach and Dan Mullen is the coach that we both want, we need, and we deserve not counting his decision to keep Todd Grantham on the staff, but he absolutely is the coach that is moving us in the right direction. But In this circumstance, either his message did not carry weight for the football players to report symptoms as prescribed, or the players decided to do it their own way. Either way, that's a coaching problem down from Dan Mullen to the assistants, all the way down to the quality control specialists. The players are told to follow the rules and they did not. Scott Strickland deserves an immense heap of credit for managing the situation and being forthright, as he can with the media, and absolutely respecting the protocols, and acting out of a, an abundance of caution in his role. But as Neil mentioned, his quote about packing the swamp was both ill-advised, completely unnecessary, and absolutely unequivocally stupid. It was a rookie mistake, and it probably was said in haste. There's no taking that away. That it absolutely probably was said in haste. But you cannot be over. 10 years as a head coach in this league and longer as an assistant and make a mistake like that, especially when you are a head coach at the University of Florida. You could probably get away with that at a Vanderbilt or a Mississippi State and that would not make it any more right to say something like that at those institutions. But when you are the head football coach at a preeminent state university and the preeminent football program in the Sunshine State, you can't get caught making that mistake. And in saying that, I also do want to offer both my prayers and my thoughts that he recovers from his COVID-19 diagnosis, but you can't, you absolutely cannot do that. And hopefully Dan Mellon has learned and hopefully we can move on from this and get the positive cases down within the program. But it's been a trying week if you've been a Gator fan or even more so if you're on the football team or you're on the coaching staff. So I'm really hoping that lessons can be learned here. uh, And I'm really hoping that other programs can take heed with when this gets handled in the wrong way, this is what happens.
1: So I think one of the big problems with society today is that perception is often more important than reality. How a comment or a statement is interpreted is often more important than the reality it's trying to convey. And let me just state for the record, nobody hates that more than me. I mean, I hate that because... It is so unfortunate that, for example, you could have a product that's absolutely average and mediocre and virtually identical to your competitors, but you outmarket them, you sell more than your competitors, and you're rolling in cash. And that's coming from someone who has a degree in media communications. You know, I've got marketing in my background, and I'm saying that I just hate that because I don't think that's how the world should work. But we're talking about the reality here. The reality is, that's the world we live in. And part of Dan Mullen's job is to meet with the media and make statements. So he should know that any comment that he makes is going to get interpreted in any way that any individual person wants to interpret it. Like, say, the Lincoln Project could take those comments and portray him as downright not caring about the virus or wanting people to get infected, which is just a a game of connected dots, obviously, because Mullen didn't say that, but that's the point. Mullen's comments weren't dumb because he doesn't care if the whole state of Florida gets COVID because I don't know if that's true. I'm not inside Mullen's head. I can't definitively state what he is thinking and present it as a cold, hard reality. I can make educated guesses based on his comments, but I cannot present what I think his mindset to be as factual. No, Mullen's comments were dumb because he left it open for everybody to interpret the comments in that way. And now he's perceived as having that mindset, whether it's true or not. And 99 times out of 100, a set of comments that go viral get far more publicity than the person's walk back or apology for those comments. So Mullen has to know better. As someone who speaks with the media on a weekly basis, he's just got to know better. Especially because, dude, <laughs> you're, you're talking to a beat that includes Edgar Thompson and Matt Baker. And I'll, I'll let that sentence just end there. But anybody who's on Twitter and anyone who's read some other Pulitzer-eligible pieces before knows what I mean when I say that. And yes, it was said in haste. Yes, it was said in anger. But it doesn't matter. He has to know better than that.
0: So, Neil, thank you for sharing that. I do want to, I do want to add one thing into that. What we have to understand is context. Now, the governor of Florida lifted the restrictions on stadium capacity. And Dan Mullen's comments were specifically related to what the governor had already decided. Now, when it comes to specific institutions or specific organizations, albeit the NFL, or college football, the bottom line decision is based on what the institution decides. And obviously, Florida and Scott Strickland and and Dr. Fox, the president of the university made it abundantly clear that Florida would continue to abide by the overarching CDC guidelines for state of capacity and social distancing and all that stuff. So that is the context that, that, that needs to be stated. And Dan Mullen mentioned that context in his comments. He mentioned, okay, the governor says this, why don't we do this? At the same time, the timing of his, of his comments were completely <laughs> ridiculous because it's actually, based on the, the information that we have now, it's actually very likely that as Coach Mullen was saying those statements, he actually himself had COVID-19 in his system which is pretty ironic and stupendous, to say the least. Well, I, I will say one thing in Mullen's
1: semi-defense. It happened. It's over. What, at this point, what do you want from him, and what are you going to attempt to gain by continuing to harangue him on social media? Because people are doing that. Like, hey, what do you want him to do? Like, sacrifice his left thumb as an act of contrition? And, and again, I'll... I'll even slightly disagree with Dustin. I I do understand the context. I still think his comments were really dumb. They were really dumb. Absolutely 100% idiotic comments from him, but let's move on already. Like we can't be a society that only judges people from their weakest moments and refuse to look at anything else. Of course, that does assume that those moments of weakness are rare isolated incidents and not part of a greater pattern because then that's a different discussion but the sum of Mullen's behavior at Florida up to and including his posts on social media about Gators for racial justice and marching in the streets for his players indicates that he absolutely does care about other people. So I'll say again, as thoughtless and downright stupid as those comments came off, it was a week
0: and a half ago already. Like it's time to find something else to get up in arms about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I will say this, I, I'm really glad that you said as they came off, it was most certainly not the best move from a PR standpoint. But considering the gross negligence that, in essence, may have helped Texas A&M in in one way or, or another in that game, where they they were certainly not social distancing, and at, at that second level where all the fans were, I, I really think that in that context we could sort of understand where Dan Mullen was coming from. At the same time, with the, the overarching statement of what you're, what you're saying uh, needs not to be stated over. I, I agree. So guys, let's go ahead and move on to something a little more positive. So what positives can you guys take away from the fact that we have a bye week unforeseen as
2: it was? So there is a positive. The positive that hopefully both our program and our fellow conference teams and programs around the country uh, can learn from. Our team has faced adversity on the field and they've had it obviously off the field and adversity can go one in two ways it can go in the direction that bonds the team together and forges a positive identity and a will of steel to put their heads down and get the job done much like in 2008 when we lost old miss we put it back together we build up from that and we won a national title or it can work like it did in 2017 with the florida team beginning with a credit card nine and going down the drain and hitting rock bottom and you can decide if Rock Bottom was AM, Georgia or Mizzou, depending on what your opinion is on that subject. I was at all three of those games. They were terrible in their own right, but it just kept getting worse and worse. This team has two weeks to get well. They've got two weeks to lick their wounds. And they have they have to decide what type of team they want to be, what their what they want their goals to be, and what they want to achieve. So here's the bottom line. We're two and one with a loss to a Western team in Texas AM. Georgia is three and one without a postponed game for them with a loss to a Western team. Doesn't matter how either team looked. Doesn't matter who the opponent was. Cause I've seen a lot of chatter on social media that Georgia looked good in their loss. And if I had a dime for every time somebody said a Florida team looked good in their loss over the years and a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss. And Georgia and Florida are equal in the division right now. Georgia still has to pay a dangerous Kentucky team with an arguably solid SEC coach of the year candidate Mark Stoops and Florida has two weeks to get it right. Tennessee is not a threat. Vanderbilt is not a threat. Missouri might be a threat, but really it comes down between Florida and Georgia, just like what we thought it was going to be. They they both have one loss apiece, and they're perfect in the division. Everything is still ahead of this team, and this team can still achieve what we thought possible in the offseason. Unforeseen by weekend, notwithstanding, this team can absolutely put it together and get it right. And hopefully two weeks to reflect get well, and get healthy can help this team get right back on track.
1: So Casey took it from a more uh, macro perspective. I'll go a little more micro. Um, I see two positives out of having these two bye weeks. One, guys are going to get healthier. Not just talking COVID, but guys are all sorts of banged up right now. And we definitely would not have been at full strength against LSU last weekend, even if COVID-19 wasn't a thing. I I actually think most of the banged up players would be – fully healthy or very close to it. If we played in Missouri this week, but now with a second bye week with a second week off away from the facility where guys do nothing, but just heal some bruises and sprains. And then we get a full week of practice with guys at full strength before Missouri pending additional injuries, I guess. Um, but I, I think that sets up pretty nicely. And two Todd Grantham, You got two weeks to do nothing, but adjust your scheme. I know, I know Todd Grantham loves that turnover or points defense, as my booster friend calls it, but he's seeing now that he doesn't have that game changer like a John Grenard or Jabari Zuniga or a Ja'Kai Polite, et cetera. Roshan Joseph. Or Roshan Joseph. Yeah, take him off. Uh, But he doesn't have a havoc wreaker that can give us the high reward end of that risk-reward spectrum. So he's got to adapt. He's got to call a defense that works with the personnel he's got. And, and I have it on very good authority that Mullen went after Grantham for the way his defense looked against Texas A&M as he should have. So, you know, now's the time where Grantham has to heed the warnings and make some changes because if he doesn't and the defense continues to look this bad for the rest of the season, we're going to have, as I alluded to, uh, two shows ago, we're going to have to have some really difficult conversations about the future of this program that I want no part of having.
2: So, Going along that point, Dan Mullen is, is, is our coach, you know, and I will say I respectfully and strongly disagree with the people saying we need to fire Dan Mullen on social media. And yes, believe it or not, that is a total thing. I had a tweet um, a few weeks ago, and it was right after the Texas A&M game. And there was a lot of, we'll say there, 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 there was a lot of uh, pushback on my tweet rightfully so and it it was a good debate but really i want to look and i want to make that point for those that looked at it and responded in some form of way so the tweet itself said if grantham is still dc dan mullen is not the coach we need or the coach that will win us a conference or national title hard truth but a truth nonetheless And I still stand by that because Dan Mullen is the coach that we need. And he is the coach that will win us a conference or national title. But this offense is prepared to win now. My positive is this offense is prepared to win now. But going along with Neil's point, Todd Grantham, there are zero excuses now. He has had a week to get his defense healthy. He's going to have a full week of practice. If Todd Grantham can't get this right, this positive that we're saying that Todd Grantham has had for his time away and the, while the program's healing will be all for naught and then Todd Grantham will be forced to answer some pretty serious questions if not from the fans from boosters and from employees and from his bosses at the University of Florida
1: well I, I think the positive is for better or worse we're gonna know exactly what Todd Grantham can do I mean, 100% because, because,
2: that's because that, that was because
1: he will he will either prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he is not cut out to be a defensive coordinator at the SEC level because let's face it georgia fans have some pretty nasty memories of him too they're not they don't exactly remember him that fondly so you know he's got another chance now he's been given a mulligan we're either going to learn Okay, Grantham is willing to adjust. He is willing to screw with his scheme a little bit. He's willing to adapt, maybe make some personnel changes here or there. And he's able to take a defense that has looked atrocious and keep it respectful, keep it real. That defense we saw against AM was atrocious. Yep. He's able to take a defense that looks atrocious and make something positive out of it. Or we'll learn that he can't do it. We'll learn once and for all that he doesn't have it and we need to make a change.
2: So here's the thing. We have an offense that's prepared to win now. You do not need a championship-level defense when you have a championship-level offense. And that is exactly what this offense is. This is a championship-level offense. Agreed. All you need is a serviceable defense. I'm not saying that you need a 2012 or 2015 Florida defense. You don't need that. You maybe need a 2014-level defense with the 2008 offense that we have right now. And you look at the next few games that we have. You have a surging Mizzou. Who can score. They can uh, score all the Exactly. Points. And, I mean, they. Y- you have a surging Mizzou team, and I'm going to be very interested to watch them against Kentucky next weekend because Mizzou is off. You have a surging Kentucky team. The next few games that we play, Missouri, Georgia, Arkansas, at Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Those next five games, this is going to prove what Todd Grantham is. Missouri is – A lot better than we thought they were going to be georgia despite their loss is still an incredible defense even if their offense is more one-dimensional arkansas has been my surprise at the sec so far i mean give it out give it up for sam Pittman, and good on felipe franks um they are resurrecting that program from the dead they really should be three and one rather than two and two right now vanderbilt is going to be vanderbilt But Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky went into Neyland Stadium and won there for the first time since 1984. And look at the job Mark Stoops has done. I mean, he broke the Florida streak, and now he broke the Tennessee streak in Knoxville. And I think this is the first time they had a double-digit win season since the 70s up there. Yep, 1977. He's – Todd Grantham is going to prove like what Neal just said. Missouri, Georgia, Arkansas, Vandy, Kentucky. What's the record after that? Because I'm not even going to Tennessee and LSU. I'm looking at those games because that's the meat of our East schedule. We're 1-0 in the East right now. So we will have Missouri, which is East, Georgia, which is East, Bandy, which is East, and Kentucky, which is East. So the Tennessee game won't even matter. If we look like we did against Texas A&M, we're going to be lucky to be 2-3 and three after those games.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're probably right. I, I, I do think that if we play Texas A&M 10 times or nine more times and our defense looks that atrocious, I still think we win six of them because I don't think Malik Davis fumbles every single time towards the end. I think we can outgun them, but our
2: defense is absolutely something that could lose us the game. And you can't rely on your offense to score on every possession. That's just not – that. that's living on an edge that we lived on the reverse side of from better part of 2010 through 2018 that, okay, defense, you know, prevent them from scoring and we'll do just enough to get a field goal or just enough to get a touch now. Now we're saying, okay, offense, you have to be perfect every time. You have to get points on the board every time because our defense can't keep the other offense off the field. But the,
1: and, and that's totally not fair to the offense, but I- – It is
2: what it is. Like the age of
1: COVID, it is what it is. You can't ask for too great – like whatever happens with this defense, I think we both agree, it's not going to become elite regardless. But But you don't need
2: it to be elite. That's what I'm saying. Right,
1: right. So I'm saying that it's not – it can't possibly improve by that great a margin regardless we the team we have is more or less the team we're going to have the rest of the way you can make tweaks you can make micro adjustments but for the most part what we've seen is what we're going to have the rest of the way and look i i don't think
2: we're going to beat georgia as of now no we're not can that change yes but as of now no i agree I mean we'll 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 talk about that on a later podcast. I don't think we are at a place or even on the same level as Georgia right now, even with their one dimensional offense, because their weapons on offense, limited as they may be, are better than anything we have defensively. But you've got this week, where we don't have a game, and then you've got Missouri, which I think we are top to bottom a better team than Missouri. I think we will beat Missouri and we'll talk about that at another point. But can we use that game experience, and can we use what we're going to do defensively in that game to expand what we can do offensively? I mean, I don't know how many third downs Texas A&M converted. 12 of 15. So, and, I mean, South Carolina, old Miss. If we can get that number down to 8 of 15, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking them to be perfect, but if we can get that number down to maybe 8 of 15 or 7 of 15, then... That gives our offense more to work with. It lets them rest, but it also builds the confidence of the defense. I've just been patiently waiting.
0: I think this is a much-needed bye week, obviously, for the Gators. I know that it's obviously going to look a little different than a normal bye week because players, the, the football facility is closed players can't actually meet, they can't actually perform walkthroughs, they can't practice, they can't go to the weight facility. One thing that is certainly uh, not talked about a lot in in terms of the strength and conditioning program within a football program is the recurring uh, strength and conditioning that happens during game week. I remember as a high school football player, at least once a week, we we would go to the weight room and we would lift because if we weren't lifting we were, we were allowing our bodies to get weaker, and when you're amidst an all SEC football schedule, that's not the time where you want your body to grow weaker. You want your body to grow stronger. You want to continue to improve as a football player, as an athlete, uh, as, as a as a healthier human being throughout the football season, and so it's definitely hurting the team that the football facility is not open and i think that as that as this wears on it could impact future games we'll, we'll obviously talk about the missouri game in a later episode and and later on in even this episode we're going to talk about georgia uh, with that being said let's move on one last topic before we wrap it up today college football is seeing a ton of craziness these days the big 10 impact 12 are still set to resume, and Florida still has another week and a half just to stew over that loss to Texas A&M. When the Gators do return to action, where do you think they stand
2: in the national picture? That's a really difficult question to ask because we don't know what the Big Ten has done with their with their practice schedules. We don't. I, I think the Pac-12 is in this solely for the money. I think they know they're not with a seven or eight game conference schedule. They're not going. To a college football playoff, they are in this just for the TV. Which, hey, I'm not. I'm not here to attack that. But I don't know if Georgia or I don't know if if Florida is the eighth or ninth best team in the country or even tenth. I would probably put them more along the lines of fifth, sixth, or seventh. Um, Again, I'm I'm with Neil. I don't know. Even though we lost to them, I don't know if Texas A&M is the better team per se. So, you know, to be honest with you. I I don't know. I I, I don't know. Um, And considering where we are and that there are too many unknown variables, I think, to give a fair and honest assessment there. I would say Florida is still a lower fringe top 10 team, but maybe if they come out and they're juiced for Missouri, my opinion will change. I do not think this is a championship team right now. We have a championship offense, but this is not a championship team.
1: Yeah, so I – I I agree with the ultimate assessment that I don't think Florida is a CFP team right now. I think that they're a fringe, maybe at large selection to a new year's six ball. I would even go as far as to say, I don't think Florida is a top 10 team right now. I I really don't because the offense is incredible, but that defense is a huge liability and can let them down to the point where they lose because it did already. Now, can they improve? Sure. Again, I think that they're gonna use this double bye week to get healthy, not just COVID wise, but letting some sprains and bruises heal because it is almost like a mini off season where you can just, I don't wanna say chill and do nothing, but you can essentially do that in the sense that you're not pushing your body to its ultimate physical limits and you're letting yourself just naturally heal. And with this mini off season, the new season opener, so to speak, is against Missouri on Halloween. And I do think the defense will improve by default because I refuse to believe that a Florida defense can maintain that level of terrible for an entire year. But until I see that improvement and not talking about, I think it will improve. But until I physically see it get better, I don't think it's a top 10 team. I think we would lose to some teams we shouldn't lose to right now because our defense isn't that trustworthy.
2: I agree. I I'd agree with that. I think that we also have to look at nationally. You know there are some great teams out there. I mean, Clemson would roll us. Poor, poor Georgia Tech. Poor Georgia. That's all I'll just say. Poor Georgia Tech. Um, but looking at even within our own conference, I mean, Missouri is better than we thought they would be. I think Kentucky's a sleeper in the East. Georgia looks good, and I know they just lost Alabama. Where do we feel in where, where do we fall in with that? I think we are a solid number two team in the East right now, but. You know what? We could be a solid number three if we lose a game that we shouldn't say to a Kentucky or say to a Missouri or say to a God forbid Tennessee. My expectations have definitely been reset. You know what?
1: Florida is at a point with me where the expectations I had for them in the preseason are on hold. They're not being discarded, they're not being thrown in the garbage, but they're on hold. So, you know, do something. As- Willie Taggart would say, do something to prove Hmm. that you are worthy of these expectations. And when they do that, if or when they do that, I will reinstate them. But until that point, it's just not rational to
0: do that. Agreed. So, guys, I I really hate to play contrarian. I usually play mediator when it comes to discussions like this. But I just want to say I disagree. I know the Gators lost to Texas A&M. And I know... The defense was not pretty, and I know the defense needs to improve. But, Neil, you said it so brilliantly. The Gators do have a championship-level offense. I don't think we've seen an offense quite like that on, on all sides, whether you're talking about the effectiveness of the run game. the Obviously, the pass game looks incredible. Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask are both in contention for the Heisman Trophy. I mean, we haven't seen the likes of anything like that since Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin shared the field. This is a pretty big deal, guys. And I know the Gators lost Texas A&M. I know, I know that can't be overstated. But, Neil, I want you to keep in mind, just keeping you accountable here, you projected Texas A&M to beat Florida. You projected Florida to go 9-1. But it, it, I don't think it, it needs repeating that at this point, you don't think the Gators are going to win the rest of their games this season. No.
1: I don't well, not because why,
0: what, what changed the
1: defense? The
0: defense is exponentially worse than I thought it would be. I thought
1: it would take a slight step back from losing John Grenard and David Reese and Jabari Zuniga and CJ Henderson. And it has taken a monumental step back. Todd Grantham does not appear to know how to adjust his scheme in the slightest bit to account for not having the game plan wreckers on that defense that give you the high reward side of that high risk, high reward coin that his defense is predicated on. Because last year, Florida was a top 10 defense. Like people were irritated with him. I was irritated with him. But that defense finished top 10 in the country in terms of yards allowed per game. Why? Because they forced a lot of negative plays that made up for some of those big chunk plays that they gave up. When you give up an occasional 65 yard bomb, but you registered four sacks to make up for it, and you get six additional TFLs, well, that kind of balances out. And, you know, you can do that when you have guys like Grenard, like David Reese, who's a super consistent tackler, a CJ Henderson. You can't Zuniga. do that with Zuniga. Well, he wasn't healthy last but year. But Neil,
0: but, Neil, you picked I, – I, I went back and looked at what you had projected for that Texas tandem game. You projected Florida to lose 21-17. to 17.
1: Right. And when I gave that prediction – I wasn't banking on giving up 543 yards of total offense to a team quarterbacked by Kellen Mond. I kind of thought we were above that. Turns out I was wrong. And you know me, like we've been friends for a few years. So you know that I'm the kind of guy where when I'm presented with new information, I reserve the right to change my perspective on something. I reserve the right to change my opinion when presented with additional information or data. And that's what I've done here.
0: You projected Florida to to lose by right. four points. They lost by three. I know the defense wasn't that. But good, again, but but everything balances itself out. The but it hasn't.
2: Went, but it hasn't. It hasn't balanced itself out because the defense isn't keeping up their end of the bargain. And nobody could have predicted in how one bad. game. I, I in mean, one game was it? In though one game. we gave up a lot okay. of
1: yards to South Carolina and Ole Miss too.
0: Yes, yes. But what what was the outcome of the game? If Florida we still won those two. But I think, well, oh, we, Florida did a little more than survive. Florida won. They they won pretty handily. Right. I know that Ole Miss kind of came back at the end, but Florida, I don't think the victory was ever in question in those first games.
2: Uh South Carolina, it was. Certainly yes, when we collapsed in the second half. I don't know what game you were watching. But
1: I mean, that, dude, yeah. South Carolina, oh, it was, we it was We took advantage. It
2: we took advantage
0: second half, but, but Florida was still – I don't think anyone thought Florida that, was that, not that a Florida would lose that
2: game. Had you had a different coach that didn't take seven minutes to drive down the field, that game would have been completely different. And I realize we're all Gators here, but we need to sometimes take off our orange and blue glasses and look at things. I mean, had you had, I remember saying, had we had a more competent coach on the other sideline, and I'm very thankful we didn't, we wouldn't have won that game. Jimbo Fisher, as much as we hate him. And for as personal as that game is for him, on personal circumstances, we won't talk about in this podcast. He's a more confident coach than Will Muschamp.
1: You had to mention that
0: or allude to it. I understand what you're saying, but all just from a metric standpoint, if you look at the win probability that ESPN puts out, there was not a single point in that second half that the Gators were less than an 89.5% chance likelihood to win the game. What I'm trying to say is, is it, against is South Carolina in the second half, there was not even a single chance Maybe ten percent chance, but like the game, that the outcome of that game was not in question. Yes, the Gators probably should have scored a crap ton more points. They, they probably should have scored fifty on South Carolina, and they probably shouldn't have given up thirty eight to Ole Miss, right? Or thirty five. The, the, the Gators should not have should not have given up thirty five to Ole Miss. And, how about and, the fact
1: Miss, that our offense went to sleep in the fourth quarter against South Carolina and gained a grand total of twenty one yards?
2: Justin, if you're also going to bring up the FPI with a percentage chance of a win, then we also need to look at the same FPI that rated with Florida to start off that game. We were 74%, 74.2% favored in that game.
1: This is Texas A&M we're talking about now.
2: And the only time where we were not favored in that game was in the fourth quarter, Texas A&M's first time where they, they were projected to win that game was in the fourth quarter with 12 minutes and 35 seconds left. So we have to be careful with those metrics, but we can be supportive of our Gators. We can say we love our Gators.
0: I understand that,
2: but what I'm trying to say is
0: that in those previous two games, Florida, there was never a point in the game where the, where the outcome of the game was not question. And we just saw Florida lose to Texas A&M But that game could have very well went in either direction. But it didn't.
1: It went one specific way because we lived on the edge too many times with a dangerously bad defense, and it finally caught up with us. And that was going to happen sooner or later. Like, you play with fire enough times, and you're going to get burned. And let me just say, I'm glad it happened three games into the season. I'm glad it happened early enough where we have a chance to sit down and correct it now with a double bye rather than against Georgia. And again, the whole point we're discussing here is where Florida stands right now. What do we have to go by when we're giving our takes on where the team stands right now? We have three games, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Texas A&M. That is the sample size the team has provided us with. Based on that sample size, and not knowing how the team looks in games that haven't been played yet, this is where I think the team stands, and this is where Casey thinks the team stands. And by the way, you talked about beating Mississippi and South Carolina handily, and said those games were never in doubt. What are the records of those two teams so far?
0: It's a great question. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you, they're one and three, and they're two and two.
0: Antec- okay. Antec- what happens okay. if we you, play you, those you types of a, games you, against Georgia? You have a Georgia. point. And, and, have and, a point. When, hey, there's, there's another
2: in, Dustin. Where either one of those teams rank?
0: No. But there's another team that we're about to play, okay? And upon the recording of this podcast, they're one and two, Missouri. If Florida looks like the Florida that played against Ole Miss, South Carolina, Texas A&M, if that same Florida team plays against Missouri, then maybe you're right. But based on the teams that are currently playing, I believe Florida is in the top five in the country okay if you include if you include teams that aren't that is is a hot take okay if you include teams that aren't playing like ohio state and penn state i I would actually rank those teams ahead of florida put florida at number seven okay Okay? that's fair i i i don't florida is definitely not better in my opinion right now and the opinion of everybody who loves who, who follows college football Florida's definitely not better than Clemson. They're definitely not better than Bama. Right now, they're not better than Georgia. They're definitely not better than Texas A&M because of the outcome on the field. But I can't find a single other team that I that I think would, that I would, that I would have Florida losing to, okay? Can you think um, of another team?
1: I can. I can say we're talking they don't improve and we get the exact same team we've seen so far this year. That Florida team would lose to Notre Dame that Florida team would lose to Oklahoma State, that Florida team very well might lose to Cincinnati. Playing like that, they might lose to Cincinnati.
0: If the defense gets better, more talented than than Cincinnati. (laughs) It's not even close.
1: Yeah. Well, that isn't going to matter if we don't know how to set the edge and bring guys to the ground and we keep blowing assignments defensively. We were significantly more talented than South Carolina too, at least in terms of their offense versus our defense, and they still move the ball at will against us. Again, dude, show me a team that plays better than it did in the first three games. And I'll gladly change my opinion on this. From what, and I keep coming back to this, from what we have seen in those first three games, yes, I think Florida very well could lose to Cincinnati. Would they in a one-game season? Probably not. I think Florida would win that game. But I'm not certain of it. I wouldn't bet on it by any means. No,
0: right now St. is marginally more talented than Florida. I,
2: I that didn't. Game, I, I don't that think that that's game true. Have been
0: close.
1: Dustin
2: is mad tonight. Yeah, no, I mean Dustin. We got uh, we got Mike Bianchi on the podcast tonight.
1: Yeah, jeez, <laughs> where's this guy been the whole time? It's and listen, 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 listen. I'm just saying. I, I make this very clear. This team has the talent on both sides of the ball, to be a national championship team. The defense has talent. The guys wouldn't be there. Granted, some were recruited by Jim McElwain, but regardless, the guys on this defense wouldn't be at UF if they weren't capable of leading them to a national title. The talent's there, but they have to show it, and they haven't yet. And since they haven't, I'm just going by what I've seen.
2: And Dustin, just based off of what I've seen, Florida loses to – Clemson, Alabama. I think they would beat Notre Dame. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That would be Pens close. Down. They would beat Notre. It would,
0: Dame. It would be like a twenty-four to twenty-seven type game. But Florida would be Notre
2: Dame. We we lose to Ohio State. Uh huh. Yeah, I I give you that. We lose to Penn State.
0: Yeah, it'd be a close game, lose, but I'll give you
2: that. Based off of what I've seen, I think we lose to Cincinnati. I'm gonna agree with you.
0: Uh,
2: I, um, if we play like we have,
1: that is that is the that is what we're going by. If we play like we, lose, we just
2: did. I, I think we okay. lose to, I think we lose to BYU I think we lose to Wisconsin I think we would have a Wisconsin well we haven't seen Wisconsin so that's not totally I, fair I, 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 just I
0: say Wisconsin
2: we have, well, we, have if, we, know, we don't know one way or another about but, that but we don't know about Ohio State <laughs> either in that aspect but Wisconsin's offensive line year in and year out is one of the best in the country versus our defensive line and they would eat us for lunch that's true. they would eat us for lunch. And quite frankly oh, – We'd score 60 on Wisconsin. No, we wouldn't. From, from no, we wouldn't. What, <laughs> no, we wouldn't. Um, and from what I've seen, here's here's my hot take. I think Florida loses to SMU. Based off of how we've looked, even though they are in the American Conference, the way that Shane Bouchelle is running that offense down there, I think I, – I think I, that one – that that
1: that's where you get into some more dicey territory. I think that one would just depend on who has the worst day at quarterback. Like, who is it? Kyle Trask or is it Shane Bouchelle who has the bad day? So the,
0: the the objective, the objective of the game of football is to win the game.
1: Yes, I understand. Florida, that. If
0: they play, Florida did not beat Texas A and M. Right? They fumbled with less than five minutes to go, and they were about they were potentially going to score the go ahead touchdown. I get it. I 100% get it. And you're right. They could have. They could have taken the lead with a field goal. You're right. At the same time, there's still games to be played, and you're right. If this trend continues, if they don't play, if they don't improve on defense against Tex against Missouri, your point might very well be taken. But based on what I've seen from this Florida offense, an offense that looks the part like it hasn't since 2009 or even 2008. I really think that this this team could very well be a top five team at, when it's all said and done. But
1: sure, could but, but, but could be isn't what we're discussing in, in this particular topic point. Could be is, I mean, I said we could be a national champion this year if we figure stuff out. We right. haven't done that. I haven't seen that, so I'm not going to talk about this team in definitive terms as if I already have. And look, I'll, I'll say this. I think Florida's defense will improve. How much is the key? Is it, a, is it a marginal improvement or is it a drastic improvement? I think the answer to that question
0: will determine where we ultimately finish the year. And I agree. But here's the thing. Let me just, let me just say this. The problem with the Gator defense is not talent. We've seen
2: Agreed. these players. Agreed. Yeah, no, no, nobody is in disagreement there.
0: The problem with this defense is A, it's coaching, and then B, it is being out of position. Those are two things that are very simple and easy to adjust. Well, let's see him do it then. You. you that's <laughs> all I gotta say. So the I, I, outlook I, is bright I, 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 right I, I, now. I, I, things are getting fixed. You know, there's never there's never a dull moment on this show, and and well, this as we is... like to say, we'll keep it respectful, but we'll also keep it real.
1: This is definitely the most heated it's ever gotten among the three of us. It, it, it got, it got kind of tense when we had cash Daniel on the show. It's never been this heated among the three of us, but you know what? That's good. I like that. It gives people different perspectives and different, different takes. It, it's kind of boring when we all agree on every single thing. Cause you,
2: well, I kind of, I, I kind of like having Dustin Bianchi on
1: Dustin Bianchi. Uh, yeah, but no, I, I love this because I think having differing perspectives makes for a more entertaining show. Well, I mean, as long as it's tethered in reality. Like if you were to say Mike White is a better coach than Billy Donovan, we'd have a problem. But no, really, this is this was a good, healthy debate. I happen to disagree with your take pretty strongly, as does Casey, but I do think it is a fair viewpoint to have. And I give you bonus points for standing in the paint and taking the heat, especially since it's two against one here. I'll always, I will always give props where it's due in that respect. So as much as I may enjoy having my ego stroked by you agreeing with what I say, this definitely makes for better content. And I just heard myself say that, and wow, that sounded arrogant. Wow, that sounded <laughs> yes, Neil. You no, know, I, you for I, I admit that sounded <laughs> that sounded supremely arrogant. But the point is, it's I think it makes for a better
0: show when we yes, disagree Neil with is each good. like that. Yes, yes, Neil is very good at what he does, and I'll stop mm-hmm. interrupting.
1: Look at me. Earlier in this very show, I made a whole soliloquy about Dan Mullen needing to remember that perception is more important than reality. And and here I am with a comment that came off the way it wasn't supposed to. So see, we're not none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. There you go. You guys have proof.
2: I'm gonna make <laughs> one more I'm gonna make one bold SEC prediction for this weekend since we're off. What's that? Go for it. South Carolina beats LSU. I could see that though, and I, I can and, see that. And he's not going to get fired. Will Muschamp gets off the hot seat, and Ed, Ed Orgeron's seat gets warmer. One season after, I'm not saying he's going to be fired. So but, Gene Chizik. Uh, yep. So you're
1: you're equating him to Gene Chizik, basically, yep. where he gets he catches lightning in a bottle. He gets a generational quarterback like Joe Burrow, kind of like Cam Newton was. And he loses that guy. He loses talent around him. Assistance leave. And now he finds himself in a lot of trouble.
2: So that is is. my bold SEC weekend prediction.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. So, Neil, you've hit it right in the nose. I know that we were a little heated today, but that's a good thing. It's always good to have lively discussion here in the podcast. With that said, I think it's time to call it a show. As always, thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed our show – We want to encourage you to help us out by subscribing to us and giving us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We're still just a few months old and it would mean a lot to us as we continue to grow our footprint. We're in the process of putting together a special show in the next week to help carry us over to the next time the Gators take the field. So stay tuned for that. And of course, we hope y'all stay safe and healthy in the meantime. Thanks again for listening and go Gators. Jesus. Oh God, <laughs>
1: Dustin, that, that was legitimately frightening. Um, <laughs> go Gators.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, I'll take today, it. Again. I'm, I'm, want me to take I'm, it again? I'm just, no, 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 no. Cause I'm just going to give you the Xanax. Go Gators. Go Gators. Y'all <laughs> see y'all next week. All right. Bye. Thanks again for listening and go Gators.